Come on, we'd like to make some noise for our children. Come on. We're excited about the destiny, the plans, and the purposes for our children's lives. Hey, we're excited tonight because uh, Pastor Justin is going to be bringing the word. Come on, it's good. A.K.A. Juice. You hear people chanting some juice. So the, uh, you know, the church that planted us from Williamsburg had a campus ministry at William and Mary. And uh, Justin was a senior there. And through them just being on the campus and sharing their faith, he made uh, a decision for Christ and then became a part of the plant team here uh, just months later, wasn't it? Just months later heard that the church in Williamsburg was going to start a church here in Newport News, came as a part of the plant team, and come on, this summer we hired him as the first pastoral hire of our church to oversee all of student ministries. It's such a power. I know, come on, you can clap. It's just a powerful story of people's callings and destinies being birthed, and I'm sharing that with you, not just to boast on him, but to say that you have a calling and you have a destiny. And it's like what, what, what Nick was just saying, you know, the, these things that we're talking about, we're talking about them because we believe in you and because we want to see your life transformed and changed and we want to see you grow into the person that God has created you to be and that you can begin to pick up the work that he's called you to do. And as a church, we want to help you discover that and encourage you and challenge you to launch into it. And so as part of that, let me just say, if you call this your home church, you do not want to miss the next three Saturdays. If there was ever a string of three Saturdays you need to put together and be here, it's these next three. We're wrapping up our series that we've been in since the beginning of the summer, Rivers. Our men are coming back from the retreat. So ladies, if your man has ever needed to be in a service, you need to get him here next Saturday night. You with me? You find a way bribe, manipulate, it's all under the grace of God. Do what you need to do to get that guy here. He needs to be in the house. Are you with me? We're going to challenge men to stand up and lead as the spiritual leaders in our communities that God has destined them to be. It's, we're going to do a message called having the courage to conquer. Come on, you with me? You need to be here for that Live Out Loud weekend is the next weekend after that. And then the weekend following, that second weekend in October, uh, we're going to be ordaining Pastor Justin. We have somebody coming in from out of town. Pastor Mike Cavanaugh from northern New York is going to help us with that service. And then that following Sunday morning, we're asking as many as you as you can to come to the, the campus in Williamsburg that Sunday morning, the second Sunday in October, because that's going to be the official uh, changing of the guard where that church, formerly Grace Fellowship, is going to become the City Life Church Williamsburg. And we want to pack that place out. So Mike Cavanaugh is going to be presiding over that service. So for the next three weeks, you need to be here. And on that third one, you need to make sure that you're not just here on Saturday, but come on, make plans to be with us on Sunday. So can you give Pastor Justin a warm welcome as he comes? Thank you, thank you. Can I just say it's good to be back. Uh, so much is going on, and between Hurricane Irene and then Steph and I were at a wedding, you missed two weeks, and it feels like you've missed forever. It's like dog years, because we're growing so fast, so much stuff is going on. It's so good to be back, but uh, I just want to encourage you guys, like Nick was saying, come on, don't let the rain dampen things down. I know you guys can get a little louder. Some of you, we got probably a dozen Pittsburgh fans in here that probably didn't get as much cheering in on Sundays they wanted to, so y'all can let it out tonight. You guys can get loud. <laughs> I'm going to get stoned after service. But uh, 
Oh, yeah, the Tullys aren't here, so Kevin doesn't have his taser, so I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> but it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the building. And uh, like I said, Steph and I have had a wedding last week. The week before that was our anniversary, our, our one-year anniversary. Come on, no longer newlyweds. We grown folks now. <laughs> David, Tyler, they can all come to us for that one-year advice. You know, right, David? I'm here for you, dog. I'm here for you. But uh, is anybody here celebrating their wedding anniversary in the next month? Really? Is there any, like, husband who's forgotten his wife's hitting him in the ribs? <laughs> no, next two months then. Okay, so we got a few. How about the next six weeks? Now you actually got to do math. All right, <laughs> that'll work. Give it up for Nick and Steph. Okay, how many years is it now? Like six. I met, actually met Nick at a membership class at CLC the week he got back from, uh, from his honeymoon. In where, Puerto Rico, wasn't it? Costa Rica? Dominican Republic. But, <laughs> but yeah, and it, you talk about my story. I met Nick just a couple weeks after Resonate at a membership class. He takes me under his wing. He was a big part of where I am today. Just, I love Nick. We can give it up for him again. <laughs> but that's good. Who else had anniversaries in the next two months? Because I got, I got some t-shirts. Don't lie, Tara. <laughs> we got t-shirts. I'm going to run them back. We had somebody tap Pastor Fred on the shoulder right before I started my sermon. And, uh, and she was like, I want to give away two shirts. So congratulations and congrats to you too. How many years has it been for you? 22. So you only got Steph and me beat by 21 years. <laughs> But congratulations again. But again, Steph and I had a wedding last week. Her, her sister Sherry, now Sherry Davis, got married. And the week, weekend before that was our one-year anniversary. So weddings, uh, everything about weddings. Marriage has been, you know, on our hearts a lot. And just everything about marriages. And it, this is another chance for, for men here. Maybe if you forgot your anniversary or maybe if you just need brownie points. What men here can remember what your wife walked down the aisle to? And I'm not talking like just box, air over G-string, the classic. You didn't think I was cultured like that, but I, I know that. But some people are creative. Can you remember what your wife walked down the aisle to? Just raise your hand. Chuck. <laughs> the first. No, what she walked down to, the music. <laughs> the song. Ridgeland? All right. All right. Awesome. Anybody else? Tyler. Cannon and D. Nice. More classics. Warren. Amazing Love. Awesome. Excellent choice. I like your taste. Steph actually walked down to Green Eyes by Coldplay. We got a little creative with it. Yep. David and Hannah, have you decided on a song yet? Yeah? All right. You don't have to share it with us. It'll be a surprise. But, uh, I actually told my brother for years that I was going to slip the DJ like a $50 bill and have him play the Imperial March for Star from Star Wars <laughs> when Steph walked down the aisle. But tact and tastefulness got the better of me on my wedding day, thank goodness. <laughs> and I punked out. But, uh, <laughs> but there's that moment when the bride-to-be, the wife-to-be enters the, the sanctuary or the field, maybe you're having a wedding outdoors, that everybody stands and everybody honors her and everybody admires her beauty, this, this wife-to-be, this bride-to-be. And then she proceeds up to the front, 
And more than likely sometime during the ceremony, the pastor might say to the husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's Ephesians 5.25. And we look at how he laid his life down for her in Acts 20.28b. It's his feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. Christ loved the church so much that he laid down his life for it. He gave his life for the church. But it seems that over the, the past century, over the past years, that the word church and church is the idea has kind of lost some of its original meaning, some of its original significance. Unless people are willing to take a stand and honor church and take a stand and be a part of church. I uh, was in a room with two friends a couple months ago, and one of them was saying that he hadn't been to church in, in a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, and he, he felt convicted about it. And the other guy in the room turned to him and said, well, do you love God? And he said, yeah. And he was like, well, then you're a part of the church. He's like, don't even worry about it. And I, I was on the other side of the room. I was like, really? Because he said it so matter-of-factly, like, that's the last word on that. You're a part of the church if you, if you just love God. But there are a lot of people that might say, I'm a part of the universal church. I'm not really into local gatherings, the services on weekends. They don't really do anything for me. I kind of just do church with my buddies on the side. And the fact is there's a lot more people that say they're, they're believers in Christ than there are people that attend a church or a gathering of, of believers. But it shouldn't be that way. When we look at Acts 2, verses 42 and then 46 through 48, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And when we see that phrase, they continued steadfastly, it literally means to continue all the time, but it also means in a place. That's referenced in a place, not just places, but a place, a, a place of gathering. And I was in Strong's Concordance a lot this week where it talks about the Greek, and I was trying to see the exact number because I've heard varying numbers, but at least 110 times in the New Testament the word church is used. And about 90 times it implicitly implies a local gathering. You can't separate the church from gathering. The two, like even the pronunciation of it in the Greek implies gathering together. It's like if, if you got married with a woman and you, and you gave her your ring, and you're like, here's a ring, a token of my love, here's my heart. But as for me, I'm kind of going to be in and out. So uh, nice marrying you. See you later. Peace. That's not how it's supposed to be. But at the same time, you got people, again, who are like, yeah, I do church. We do church as chicken. With my buddies, we get our Bibles, we fellowship together. You know, that's good, relationship, accountability, but that's part of what the church has to offer. That's not all of it. Paul talks about church as a body. That's like saying, you've seen my hand, so you know me. You know, this isn't all of me, my hand. But there's so much more that's to be offered. And there are people out in the world that just don't realize how much abundant life is in the church, how much living water can be found in the church. And in gathering, gathering is an essential part of the life of a believer because it gives their life a flow that God ministers living water through. We've been in this series, Rivers, for weeks now. And the whole premise is our lives should have flow, rivers of living water flowing in us and from us. And we get that from John 7, 38, where Jesus says, if you believe in me, then rivers of living water will flow from your life. And we believe that our actions, our habits, our words, our deeds, all of them should minister living water from us to those around us. And we've looked at the 12 pathways, prayer, scripture, fasting, worship, all of them. 
and seeing how their riverbeds, their, their avenues through which living water can flow out of us and into the people around us. And gathering's no different. There's power when we gather together. There's power when we pray together. When we, when we come together for pre-service prayer, that's powerful. When we worship together, what we experience tonight in worship, that's powerful. When the word is opened and, and the Bible is explained, when Pastor Fred comes with a word week in and week out, that's powerful. There's power. In Psalm 133, it talks about how when the brethren come together, it commands a blessing. When we gather together, it commands a blessing. You see, when we come together, there's safety, there's edification, there's authority, there's security, there's exhortation. You can't reproduce that just getting together with some people at your house or at a restaurant. You can't reproduce that. And I was looking for the, the perfect analogy. You know, we're talking about living water, so I was thinking water. I was thinking nature. I'm looking at David. He, he knows we love to watch planet Earth. So I'm trying to think of some analogy. But uh, I pick up this book finally after weeks of thinking. Radical Together. Come on, who's excited about life groups? Pastor Fred's going to be preaching from it. There's life that is going to feed the church. It talks about unleashing the people of God for the purpose of God. That's what's in store for our church. Can I get an amen? But I open this book to the introduction, and God's like, well, here's your analogy. <laughs> Page one. It says, high atop the Andes Mountains, the rays of sun strike ice, and a single drop of water forms. It begins to trace a hesitant course downward, gradually joining with other drops of water to become a steady stream. The stream gains speed and strength. Thousands of feet below and hundreds of miles later, what were once single drops have converged to become the mightiest river on earth, the Amazon. Flowing into the Atlantic Ocean at a rate of more than 7 million cubic feet per second, the Amazon is more powerful than the next 10 largest rivers in the world combined. But you and I are not intended to plunge down the mountain of radical obedience alone. That's one of the reasons I love this imagery of the Amazon. The force of a single drop of water descending the Andes Mountain is minuscule. Similarly, as long as an individual Christian journeys alone, no matter how radical they are, their effect will be minimal. But as men and women who are surrendered to the person of Christ gather together in churches that are committed to the purpose of Christ, then nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, and tonight I would say the spread of living water to the ends of the earth. Thank you, David Platt. <laughs> But again, we can more freely minister living water when we embrace gathering. By ourselves, a drop, we can minister. But together, a river that's ten times strong, or that's stronger than all the ten greatest, other greatest rivers in the world combined. That's the power that's in gathering. And that's what I want to examine tonight. But some people would be like, I'm still not comfortable with the idea. Like, it, it almost seems like a plan B, that it's something we created later on. This whole church, this whole weekend thing, this gathering together. But if you look back all the way to the Pentateuch, you look back at Moses and the Israelites. We've got thousands of Israelites led by Moses. Moses goes and gets words from God. He gets the Ten Commandments and he shares them with the Israelites. That's how we get most of the Pentateuch. And he leads them and he's even got a, a hierarchy of leaders underneath him after he meets with Jethro that he establishes. Essentially, Moses is like the pastor of the first megachurch. So even from the beginning, we see that that's God's plan. The word for the Israelites was kahal in Hebrew, K-A-H-A-L, if you're taking notes. And can anybody guess what that means? It's not a trick question. Gathering, correct. <laughs> 
It means gathering. It means an assembly, a meeting, a congregation. So we see from day one, it's been God's plan that we should receive and minister living water through gathering, that there's life in it. And I want to look at two reasons tonight that he set this up. And maybe you would say tonight, I already, already know why we gather. But again, there's people out there that have questions. There's people out there that think, you know what, church isn't for me. But it is for us. And I want to talk about that tonight. The first reason we gather is because gathering galvanizes growth. It stirs up growth not only in us. We know that full well if you've been coming here for any time. But at the same time, it encourages and it stimulates growth in those we gather with. In Acts 2, it says they continue daily with one accord. With one accord literally means to rush along in unison. Again, it gives this imagery of the, the Amazon River just tearing down the Andes Mountains, flowing down the side of it. But it also has a musical analogy to it. If you were to listen tonight to what Celeste was singing and what David was singing, they were singing two different parts. But at the same time, there was a harmony and a melody, and together it blends together, and it sounds beautiful, does it not? Worship team is gifted. But there's that musical analogy. And in the same way, when we come to church, when we come to gather, we're, God's not trying to make us uniform, cookie-cutter Christians that we're all the same, we're all singing the same tune. He wants to use the personalities he's given us. He wants to use the strength he's given, he's given us. He even wants to use the weaknesses and, and the flaws he's given us. That's going to help grow other people as they deal with us and vice versa. And Hebrews 10, I want to look at that too. It kind of takes this whole idea of complementing each other to an entirely new level. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up. Other translations say spur. One translation even says provoke. I mean, it's strong language. To stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which I'm trying not to beat a dead horse here, but it means to gather together in one place. To not forsake that as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This stir up in the original language means to sharply contend or to prove to one another. Chances are if you're just going to get together with some of your buddies and talk about the Bible at your house or at a restaurant, you're not going to grab that guy at work who provokes you, who you daydream of just running up with a stapler and just attacking him with it. You're not going to invite him out to just, to just talk about God and just hang out. And I'm not saying that Hebrews is telling us we need to irritate each other or we need to provoke each other. That would be taking it too far. But we need people around us that are going to stir us up, that are going to spur us on. I mean, if we read 1 Corinthians 5, there's a man in the church of Corinth that was sleeping with his mother, and he saw nothing wrong with it. Saw nothing wrong with it. And Paul's like, come on, you guys got to take him in. The people that gathered with him needed to take him in, realign him again with the will of God. When you don't have people stirring you up and, and spurring you on, sometimes things get, can get a little fuzzy. And... There are people who will see that within the church there's imperfect people. Come on, we're all forgiven sinners. And they see that and, and they're like, you know what, they get turned off to the whole idea of church. But as long as the church itself is healthy, as long as the gathering itself is healthy, which we believe we are, come on, give us as many imperfect people, as many sinners as you can give us. We'll take them all. Because God didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He didn't come for the perfect people, he came for the imperfect people. The presence of imperfect people shouldn't keep us from gathering. It's what makes gathering essential. That's why we gather, because we want to grow one another. We want to build God's church. And there's a whole new level of spiritual maturity when you realize that, that gathering together, going to church, isn't just about what you can get out of it. It's how you can minister to the people that are around you. 
There's two kinds of people that go to church. There's consumers and there's communers. There's people who are thinking, what can I get out of this? Like a consumer treating church like a product. And then there's communers that want to commune with God, encounter God, and have that encounter resonate with the people who are around them. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul reminds us that when we gather, we should try to excel in gifts that build up the church. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 12. In 1 Corinthians 14, those gifts he's talking about are your spiritual language and prophecy. And what he was concerned about in the church of Corinth was that they were so focused on their prayer language. They were so focused on building themselves up in the spirit that they weren't focused on building up those around them. And he wanted to remind them that when we go to church, our focus should be to build up those people we're gathering with. But again, there's, there's a strong consumer mentality with the church. Like, what did I get out of this service? Um, how, did, how does this service serve me? And those are good questions to have when you're looking for a church. Come on, we got military families in here that are going to have to ask those questions, that have asked those questions. Those are good questions to have. But once you've dedicated yourself to a church, what Paul is saying is that you need to focus on how to build up the church, how to build up those around you. Once you've plugged in, it's time to build. It's time to build God's church. And some translations for build, they use the word edify. That's all well and good. But the word Paul uses is the exact same word that Jesus uses when he says that the wise man builds his house on a rock. He's literally talking construction. We're talking extreme makeover home edition. When you go to church, wear a hard hat because we're building. And here at the City Life Church, we're in the business of building a gathering that builds people. We gather first and foremost to worship God. He's worthy. He's so worthy. But we believe gathering hands us the opportunity to share our living water with others who attend. There's living water inside of you that can flow within a gathering of believers. And you don't need the pulpit or a microphone to do it either. You can just start leaving for church. Who can I bless today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I even just discuss the sermon with today? Who can I encourage? Who can I greet in the, the warm love of Jesus Christ? I mean, there's people in this church who are just gifted at greeting, and they are building the church. Come on, when people come in and they get a warm welcome, come on, they're going to be back. It's, it's awesome. I'm not necessarily gifted in that, but we have people who are gifted at greeting, and we're thankful for them. I could thank all kinds of people for their many gifts, but uh, I'll just single them out. But when everybody commits to building each other up like this, guess what? In the end, everybody's built up. And if you want to be built up, if you want to make your calling and election sure, if you want to grow as a believer, I'd highly recommend. I'd, I'll, if I could command you, <laughs> I would. Find a local gathering and plug in. Not for a week, not for months, but for years. Serve alongside, again, forgiven sinners. It's going to grow you. It's going to grow them. And sadly, most people tap out after a couple months, maybe a year, when they start to see that, yeah, these people that they're serving alongside, they aren't perfect. And sometimes people will tap out and say, you know what, I'm going to find a church with, with better people or a better service and and when they go on that search, good luck, because they're going to find every church is full of, again, forgiven sinners. I once heard that church hopping, going from church to church, is rooted in loving people you don't know. Because once you get to know people, really, that's when you decide, you know what, it's time to try another church. Because you're going to find that, that people are still growing. People are still growing in God. Growth is gathering with people long enough to really get to know them and then choosing to love them and build up the church alongside of them. First John hits so much on, on loving the people you gather with. First John 1 John 1.7 says, if you have fellowship with God, you'll have fellowship with fellow believers. First John 4.20 says, 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Lastly, 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You can't separate loving God from loving those people who gather to love on God. You can't. That's like coming up to me and saying, Juice, Justin, whatever you call me, I enjoy your friendship. I enjoy everything we share. I enjoy our relationship. I'm so thankful for what we have, but I can't stand Steph. Honestly, if this conversation happened, it would probably be vice versa. They'd probably be talking to Steph about me. But, uh, <laughs> but if, they, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, oh, well, good luck finding another friend because Steph and I are one. All right? You can't like one of us and not the other. It's the same way with God and his followers. We have to learn to, to build up the people we gather with. And as the church is built up, as it's built up, it just, it just opens up a door to minister living water in an even broader sense. Because my second point tonight is that gathering glorifies God. When I first married Steph, I had to get used to how long it takes her to get ready. Not to joke her, not to, to joke on her or anything like that, but I mean, look at me, this is the most hair I've, I've had in years. I mean, I roll out of bed, as long as my breath doesn't stink, I've got clothes on, I'm good to go. You know, nothing in my teeth. But you know, Steph, she appreciates her time in front of the mirrors, as most women would, correct? Yes, all right. Steph's not the only one amen in that. But Steph, I mean, she has a mirror here, big old mirror, mirror on the medicine cabinet, and then she's got like a go-go gadget mirror that comes out of the wall. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It like magnifies every pore on your face. I've seen like imperfections on my face I didn't know about, and I'm like, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Get behind me. <laughs> but I'm thinking, what did people do before mirrors? Like, did women just not care? I mean, what did they find to look at? Well, historians say the first mirrors were probably large bodies of, of still water. Lakes, ponds, puddles, whatever. But a drop, like a small drop, that's not going to be very helpful. In a similar way, we can glorify God with our lives. We can. We can glorify God with our testimonies. We can glorify God by our personal ministries with those we work with, those we just cross, day to, cross paths with day to day. But when we combine ourselves, we gather with the body of Christ we can glorify God on a whole nother level, on a whole nother level. The, God has delegated the display of his divinity to the gathering of his disciples in the local church. Because when you gather as a church, you not only show that God has given us a new life, but he's also given us a new gathering. In Ephesians 2.19, it talks about how we're reconciled not only to God, but we're reconciled to each other. And when we live this out, this reality and the reality of the gospel in a distinct marked community, the church displays God's power in a way we can't as detached and separate believers. And trust me, people in the world, they recognize the, the life that's in gathering together. People uh, join book clubs, they join gyms and go to, what is it, spinning classes, we're on the bike, they, do, they join motorcycle clubs, they join sororities and fraternities, they join uh, sports teams. All these gatherings give you some life. But gathering together as believers, to worship God, there's just a whole nother level of life in that. And we believe that as a church. And if you asked us, if you asked any leader here, you asked Pastor Fred what our moment is as a church, as the church, we want to be known as a welcoming church. We get excited when we have visitors because we know that we're building something. We, we know that as we're excited, the same way heaven's excited. It says in, a, in Ephesians 3.10 is the message version that through followers of Jesus like yourselves, Gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. 
even among the angels. If they can get excited, come on, we can get excited. Have you ever asked yourself, little segue, I've asked myself this many times, why did God or why did Jesus only minister on earth for three years? While he was on earth, why didn't he bilocate, trilocate, quadlocate, I mean, whatever's after quad, whatever prefixes after that, and minister all over the place simultaneously. He's God, he could have done that. Why after he resurrected did he ascend so quickly? Why didn't he hang out and spark more revivals? Why not? But where Jesus brought a few grace and the good news message of God's love, the church can now bring it all over throughout the globe. God's living water flows further when his hands and feet on earth, his church globally embrace gathering. Churches that minister are churches that have a global gaze but a local focus. God is becoming known through churches with a global gaze for ministry, yet a local focus on gathering. You can even see that with our church, planning the church up in Williamsburg. Our gaze goes beyond Newport News. But that church is going to be a local gathering that's built up. People are going to be built up through that church. And we're going to be another church that's, that's focused locally on building up the schools around here, building up students in our schools, building up this region. Global gaze, but a local focus. We see it too with Apostle Paul. He was like the OG of church planning. He was the originator. He, in Acts, you see him planning all these churches, traveling all over the place. And yet he had that global gaze to plant all these churches, but he was focused on each one. He wanted each one to have a local focus, a local gathering where people were being built up. Come on, all these letters he wrote where he was checking on them, the church in Corinthians, the church in Ephesians. And he knew, as he says in 1 Timothy 3.15, Pastor Fred shared this verse with me a couple months ago. It's, it's profound. It says he was building God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. That's deep. But if it's the pillar, if it's the foundation, if it's God's reflection, if, if he's trying to make himself known through the church, why do we see the scandals? Why do we see distorted doctrine? Why do we see churches closing? Why don't we just... Give up on the church and, and focus on maybe just evangelism, maybe just ministry, maybe just going out and reaching people. Why continue to do church within these four walls? If I could actually call the worship team up, I'm going to close with this passage and ask a few questions. It's a great book. It's called Church, Why Bother? It's by Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors. And at the end, he addresses this issue. He says, the composer Igor Stravinsky once wrote a new piece that contained a difficult violin passage. After several weeks of rehearsal, the solo violinist came to Stravinsky and said that he could not play it. He had given it his best effort but found the passage too difficult, even unplayable. Stravinsky replied, I understand that. What I'm after is the sound of someone trying to play it. Perhaps something similar is what God had in mind with the church. I remember hearing a similar illustration from Earl Palmer, a pastor who was defending the church against critics who dismissed it for its hypocrisy, its failures, its inability to measure up to the New Testament's high standards. Palmer, a Californian at the time, deliberately chose a community known for its cultural unsophistication. When the Milpitas High School Orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the result is appalling, said Palmer. I wouldn't be surprised if the performance made old Ludwig roll over in his grave despite his deafness. You might ask, why bother? Why inflict on those poor kids the terrible burden of trying to render what the immortal Beethoven had in mind? Not even the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can attain that perfection. My answer is this. 
The Milpitas High School Orchestra will give some people in that audience their only encounter with Beethoven's Great Ninth Symphony. Far from perfection, it is nevertheless the only way they will hear Beethoven's message. I remind myself of Earl Palmer's analogy whenever I start squirming in a church service. Although we may never achieve what the composer had in mind, there is no other way for those sounds to be heard on earth. God's chosen gathering, God's chosen his church to display himself here on earth, to, have himself, to make himself known here on earth, to minister living water to those who need it here on earth. And one day he's going to come back as the bridegroom. He's going to come back and make himself known. And unlike when a bride enters the room and everybody stands, it says in the Bible that every knee is going to bow. And there he's going to gather people unto him for the last time. And there's going to be people that go into heaven rejoicing because they're parched, they're thirsty, they try to do it on their own, do it solo. And because of that, they're, they're dying to get to heaven and get some living water. But there's going to be other people who are filled filled by the Spirit, filled with life that they had, going through life, gathering with other believers. There's life to be had in that. And I'd ask two questions tonight as we close. One, what gathering of believers are you building alongside? If you're here tonight and you're visiting, my prayer for you would be that you find one. Even if it's not here, find a place to plug in and begin to build God's kingdom alongside some people. Rub shoulders with them. It's going to grow you. It's going to grow them. It's going to grow God's kingdom. But plug in. Plug in. The second question would be...